This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. That's right. We are so close to the start of college football. Welcome into the weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and Addicted to Quack.com. Jordan Schultz is sitting in with you. So excited to finally be getting down uh, to the end of summer. Kids starting to go back to school already on campus for some of these games that are happening in week zero. And the Oregon Ducks are so close to be taking on the Auburn Tigers actually just a week away for the Advocare Classic and the official start of the Oregon Ducks football season. So welcome in this edition of the Weekly Web Foot Review. It's going to be all football based. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. Actually got a lot of Pac-12 previews to finish up. Uh, We've literally got five or six more teams to get to and we're going to be rapid firing some content to you Duck fans through this week leading up to kickoff against the Auburn Tigers. And joining us this week, very special guest, one of my colleagues at Alpha Media in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we hosted a lot of shows last year talking college football. It's Matthew Zimmer. Matthew, what's going on, man? It's good to be with you, Jordan. It's going to be uh, interesting to talk about all these Pac-12 goings on. And I know you've got a packed show, so let's get to it. Oh, no, this is going to be so exciting. Uh, it's cool to have you, and you're going to make this whole episode very fun. So basically, the premise of this episode, we've got a lot to get to. Matthew, he is an alum of Washington State University. He lived up in Pullman, partied up there. Of course. So, you, yeah, that well, that's like the only <laughs> thing to do there. Of course. Right. right. Yeah, that's no, there's nothing wrong with that. And maybe <laughs> hop on over to Moscow, go to the U of Idaho, and there grab a couple of parties there, and then come back to your own parties at Wazoo. Literally, that's about it. <laughs> 
but it's fun. So we'll di- uh, deep dive into that. We'll deep dive into what Mike Leach is doing, how good the Washington State Cougars are going to be. We'll also preview Washington as well. They actually fall right next to each other uh, in line on the Ducks schedule for 2019. So you're going to help me tackle both Washington and Washington State previews. Also, the first AP Top 25 was uh, released uh, very recently. That included five Pac-12 teams, so we'll break that down to start. Uh, Ducks wide receivers seem to be, uh, they were a bright spot. Now it's kind of a weak spot, unfortunately, because they've had a lot of guys going down with injuries. So we're going to break that down and find out who's going to have to step up and if Justin Herbert maybe has a few questions going into the season opener against Auburn. I think that that uh, is something that a lot of fans, including myself, are worried about, Matthew. I I didn't think that they were going to lose three guys in fall (laughs) camp to injury. Well, and that's the thing that always seems to bite these big programs and these guys and these teams that are really about to make that push. And, And we talked about this here in Portland last year about Justin Herbert, and he mm-hmm. was going to make this push. And could he be the number one overall NFL draft pick for last year's draft? And then he decides to come back, and that works out hopefully for Oregon. And we talked about this so many times, whether we were on the air or off the air. The Oregon Duck wide receivers need to catch the bleeping football. And they didn't do that enough last year. Mm-hmm. There were so many times that you and I would watch games together, or we would talk about it the next day or the later that week. And it was so frustrating watching that team, even as a Cougar fan and as a Cougar alum, I knew how good Oregon could be. So when they kept coming out flat or they kept dropping passes on third down or in the end zone or whatever it happened to be, and then that Cougar game came around and the Cougs go up huge in that first half, I'm sitting there going, this is not the Oregon team that I've watched for the first several weeks and that just beat Washington. This is something's wrong. Something's got to be fixed. And now all these wide receivers are getting hurt. So all these guys that were supposed to make jumps (laughs) are falling off to injury. You also talk about the emergence of a go-to wide receiver literally just happening Mm -hmm. last year for Justin Herbert with Dylan Mitchell. And I personally thought it was a bit of a surprise that he jumped uh, to the NFL draft sixth round or seventh round pick to the Minnesota Vikings. Basically going to be like a special teams guy this year fighting to get a couple of catches, you know, at the end of games. And and they maybe got a great replacement in Juwan Johnson. But to see a connection happen and then all of a sudden that's broken so quickly... That was a little frustrating as a Duck fan. And I can understand 100% of that, and it kind of goes the same way for the Cougs, and we'll stay on the Ducks, but we'll talk about this with Washington State. They lost their running back, James Williams, who thought, oh, I'm going to be a top NFL talent. I'm going to get drafted, and he left, and then he goes undrafted, signs with a couple of different teams who have both since cut him. So (laughs) it does not work out the way you want it to. And the thing that bugs me and that pisses me off more than anything is that you have all these agents out there who are probably in the ear of these talented guys who deserve to be at the NFL level. Dylan Mitchell deserves to be there, as well as my own bias and towards who James deserve Williams. a shot and to control their own destiny, and right. if they want to take a chance to do so. And they get these grades from these agents, and these are all just things that I've heard over the course of years through college basketball, college football. They get this understanding that, yes, look at this. I, I know that these scouts have you as a top four-round talent. No, you don't. You don't know that for sure. No one is going to ever give you that much information. No scout is going to tell you that definitively. So whoever told Dylan Mitchell it was a good idea to leave lied. Or if they didn't lie, they were just in it for their own self-interest. And I don't know any of these things for sure, but that's just how it feels as you've got all these guys that go, I deserve to be at the NFL. And a lot of them do, but they're just 
not quite there yet. Dylan was a little too lanky. He, if he had put on more muscle, come back to Oregon, shined with Justin Herbert, all of a sudden you've got maybe a second-round talent and who could maybe jump into the first round if some team's really desperate for a wide receiver. Instead, like you mentioned, super late-round pick, may not even make the Vikings team. Who knows what's going to happen? That It's so disappointing to see a guy with that much ability go that late and still may not even actually get his first opportunity in the league for at least another year. Why not get that opportunity in college to keep building your stock. And speaking of the draft, I really, this, this point about Dylan Mitchell, I was actually, you can go back and listen to episode two, three, or four of the weekly Webfoot review. Dylan Mitchell was projected in those early uh, mock drafts as like a second or third round mm-hmm. guy. Jalen Jelks was possibly going That's up right. in the second or third round. He dropped, I think, to the fourth or fifth round. And Uguamani ended up dropping. Yeah. Or, excuse me, Uguamani was the highest drafted Oregon Duck. And that ended up surprising everybody. So just all of these projections really mean bunk when it comes down to it. You yes. know, after these guys get into camps and get, you know, scouts looking at them in person. Not necessarily in game action, but just uh, on the field with other guys trying to make a name for themselves in the NFL. No, exactly. It's a lot of a different kind of vibe. I can't imagine what it's like being a kid like that in that situation. But I like the facilities that Oregon has. I really like all of the... They have so much more than the average college football program. Same with their basketball team. I was really upset that so many guys decided to transfer. Miles Norris Mm. just really throwing a kink in plans for Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks. And then you had Victor Bailey leaving early as well. So just... I'm I'm surprised that so many guys decided to leave such a cushy spot in Eugene. Well, again, it comes down to I think that they're giving they're being given the information that they want to hear, but that is not accurate. You know, they get all these they get an agent and the agent goes, "Hey man, you're projected as a lottery selection in the college basketball and the NBA draft. You're listed as a top 2 round pick in the NFL." That's not no no one knows for sure until you start showing people at your pro day at your individual workouts and all that kind of stuff you have no earthly idea how good you deserve to be or how good you could be and I think that's why I wish to a certain extent there was more on the NFL side what we see in the NBA draft where the NBA is saying okay you want to declare for the NBA draft you can go to workouts you can do these things I love that and then you can come back to school still the NFL goes no no once you're in you're in and I wish that they would allow the same. And that was very, very strict in the NBA up until the last two or three years. Yes, so, true. so I think it's been kind of a recent renaissance in people's minds, allowing kids to have a little bit more power over their decisions for their future. That's important. They need to be able to do that. And I like that. Um, but you make the good point of guys that are projected to be lottery picks. It happened this year with Lewis King. Uh-huh. He was a literal lottery projection in some mock drafts Mm -hmm. didn't go until the 50s in the second round to the Detroit Pistons barely got drafted yeah went from uh, people telling him you're gonna be picked in the first 15 you're gonna get there we know it you're gonna make that big no and that allowed some other guys to be drafted higher that necessarily Uh weren't being planned but then that also pushed another 20 or 30 people down further into the draft uh whatever you want to call it, the black hole the of little being purgatory. undrafted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you got a guy like Kenny Wooten that has to go into camp with the New York Knicks, mm-hmm. basically fighting for even a spot in training camp. You only get a summer league guarantee, and that's what's happening. You get undrafted rookies in the NFL. 
And I will say that's actually that seems like a decent position to be in if you don't get drafted. You have a little bit better prospects than in the NBA because there right. are so many more spots open on a roster. It's They're fifty-three practice. versus fifteen, exactly. <laughs> Plus the ten-man practice squad that you've right. got. So, so right. there's obviously positions and availability for jobs all over yeah. the place, even for an undrafted rookie. Uh, I, I just really wish that Dylan Mitchell in particular, talking about the Oregon Ducks wide receivers, he would have stayed right. and taken the time to grow with Justin Herbert. And I did want to clarify, I didn't mean to say that once you're in the NFL draft, you can't leave. You can exit the NFL draft, but you really don't get the opportunity to do the workouts. Nope. You don't get the chance to, to the NFL draft's cutoff for I'm in or I'm out of the draft is is so early on in the process that it's not like you get a chance to go meet with NFL teams and sit down and go, what do you think? Am I am I making the right choice? Am, are you going to actually draft me at any point? And what are teams going to say? They're never going to tell you yes or no for no. real, because then as soon as you leave, your agent's going to leak it that says, ooh, the Seattle Seahawks are interested in Dylan Mitchell. No, no, no. We just mentioned that we would draft him in seven rounds. We don't know if we're interested or not. That's not how this works. But again, it's crazy. It sucks for Dylan Mitchell in terms of he goes from thinking, I'm going to make some good money, I'm going to make some decent money in my rookie contract, to all the way down to that end of the draft where you're making maybe 100000 your first year. And, you know, it's it's, again... That's a lot of money still, but that's nothing compared to what he could have been making on a you know three four year contract. And I should say he's probably making a hundred thousand or something to that effect over the course of three four years because rookie scale really scales back in after the that NFL especially. It's you, terrible. Yeah, your guarantees as a young player in the NFL it really does stand for not for long and not much money if you don't last more than those four years in the league because. Guys think that they're making a million, two million, three. No, they're guaranteed like maybe three, four, five hundred thousand at the most at times. All right, we we've kind of taken a little bit of a turn and gone off into some fun conversation about the Ducks wide receivers and the availability in the draft, but uh, we got to get back on track. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to go over the top twenty-five. The first AP poll released five Pac-12 teams in that, and we've got to ask the question about the Ducks wide receivers. Who is going to step up in the absence of important injuries bringing guys like Brendan Schooler down and Micah Pittman down? This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the weekly web Twitter review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you a week away from the start of the Oregon Ducks 2019 football season, and it is one filled with expectations. Of course, the top 25 in the AP just officially released for week one for college football, so we finally get a chance to see where the Ducks stack up in the top 25 nationally. And, oh, by the way, Matthew Zimmer joining me, uh, my colleague from Alpha Media and 750 The Game. Matthew, thank you so much for joining the show. Absolutely. He is a graduate of Washington State, so he is our resident Cougars expert, and he's going to help us break down the Huskies as well. So the top 25 officially coming out a couple of days ago, Oregon actually getting a pretty favorable ranking 
Number 11 overall, uh, actually the highest rated Pac-12 team overall in the top 25, uh, of course, Alabama and Clemson, Clemson number one, Alabama number two, Georgia number three, Oklahoma four, and Ohio State five, of course, the normal five rounding out the top five to start the season, uh, but Oregon at 11, actually in the coaches poll a couple of weeks ago, Matthew, we saw Oregon ranked, I think, at number 12, right below either Washington or Auburn. So it's kind of been a battle back and forth. National prognosticators saying either Oregon or Washington is going to win the Pac-12. But in these top 25 rankings in the AP, we are seeing Oregon coming out on top at least to start the season, which I think that means that Oregon on paper is the better team. And we've got to wait to see what happens against Auburn and what happens with Washington's season uh, to see where those teams go from here. So right now, Oregon at 11, number 13, Washington, right below them out of the Pac-12, the Utah Utes at number 14. They are a dark horse out of the Pac-12 South this year. And along with Arizona State, a lot of people saying uh, Utah or the Sun Devils have the chance to grab the spot in the South in the Pac-12 championship game. And Utah getting a pretty high ranking to start the year at number 14. Next Pac-12 team on the list, all the way down at number 23, but still respectable as heck, the Washington State Cougars. Matthew, we're going to break that down. Even after losing Gardner Minshew to graduation, you got Mike Leach, which for me is always a wild card. He is the literal X factor that you are looking for on a college football team, and no matter the weapons at his disposal, he's going to be ready to play every Saturday, and it's going to be a tough game. Uh, no matter how talented your team is. So Washington State, number 23, and Stanford looking like they are making the list at number 25. And I thought it was pretty cool. You mentioned this to me before we started the podcast. Three other Pac-12 teams got votes. Yes. Which is a little random. Uh, Surprising that USC got a vote to be in the top 25. Arizona also getting a vote. And Arizona State getting, it looks like, two or three votes to be in the AP Top 25 as well. And a lot of people talking about that stretch late in the season with those uh, three opponents for Oregon, Arizona State, Arizona, and USC. So a lot to talk about regarding Oregon's very, very tough schedule. And all of these teams in the Pac-12 are going to be pretty decent this year. And pretty cool to see five of them up in the top 25. Matthew, what do you think about that? Well, it's interesting because as a Cougar alum, I, I uh, immediately jumped into, holy, really? Really? Right. Well, the Cougs got ranked in the preseason poll. And not to say that I, I didn't necessarily believe that they deserve to be there, but I'm going to say that. I love my Cougs, but what the hell are they doing at 23? They lost their quarterback, their top running back, who was also one of their leading receivers, especially their leading receiver out of the backfield, is gone. I get Mike Leach is back. I get that Tracy Clays is back in his second year as defensive coordinator. That'll help the defense continue to take strides. But th- to me, this is the first time that I think the Cougs have made the poll, and it's out of pure respect. And that is something that if you had told freshman year of college me in 2011, yeah that that would have happened, that they would get the courtesy uh, put put into the top 25 of the AP, I would have told you you were crazy because we were in the midst of the Paul Wolf debacle Ugh. that was going on that, of course, what a terrible ended that decision. year. What a terrible hire. And it was so great to have Leach my final three seasons as a Coug, but it didn't really take fold until my first year graduated that things started to really pick up. And I think that my favorite thing about this is that 
you've got five teams of the Pac-12 that have made the AP Top 25. Yeah. How many times have you and I heard the Pac-12 doesn't get any respect, the Pac-12 doesn't deserve the respect, the Pac-12 this, all this, all negative things about the conference and football, arrived. everything. There are, there's, to me, there's no reason for five teams to be there, but the fact that the AP has put them there, there is some respect finally being put on the Pac-12's name, and it's nice, but at the same time, it worries me because it tells, it makes me wonder how the kids at each university take that. To, to, to kids at Oregon who maybe their freshmen are going, hey, yeah, look at us, top team in the Pac-12 by by the nation. Who says we can't get respect? And I don't think that'll happen, but it's something that every kid is different. Every team is different. And if one kid gets it in his head that he's better than he actually is, that can bring down some of the team chemistry. It can bring down his own play because then he starts to make boneheaded mistakes because he thinks, oh, I'm already good enough. Look at what, look at what the rest of the nation thinks. They think we're great. I think it speaks to the level of the conference, uh, even where they were at when Mike Leach decided to take the job up in Pullman. I I think that the Pac-12 is full of destinations for legitimate head coaches in college football to come and make a difference and actually take a program that hasn't really gotten much. I mean, no no offense. No, you're right. The, the Cougars haven't gotten much national love the past 10, 15 seasons. And now recently, you know, getting that college game day appearance last year and just getting up to a level that I don't think any Cougars fan would have dreamed in their wildest dream that they would be being loved at the national level like they have been. So, And that has happened at other yes. schools around the Pac-12 as well. And you've seen guys, just look at the guys that have come to the Pac-12 other than Mike Leach. Herm Edwards down at Arizona State literally leaving a cushy television booth job mm-hmm. at ESPN to go and hit the grind at college football again. Yeah. Chip Kelly chose UCLA over Florida. Now, uh, maybe... Maybe Florida <laughs> maybe, chose... I was going to say maybe <laughs> UCLA chose him over Florida choosing him. Right. But but my point but is that big names want to come to the Pac-12. And and, and you he, can argue Kevin Sumlin because when he was at A&M with Johnny Manziel, he was, he was a big name... But and, it was, and he was being tossed around for the Oregon job after the Willie Taggart yeah. debacle. And, and it's it's something that as more coaches have given the Pac-12 legitimacy, and I think that first crop, you know, you had good coaches before Leach came yes. to Washington State, and that was the same year that Rich Rod went to Arizona. You had a bunch of guys who were semi-big names leaving programs to go coach in the Pac-12. Now, Leach has been Sonny the only Dykes. one that's actually worked. Yeah, exactly. Sonny Dykes but, ruined Cal. Right. And then now you've got all these guys that are making strides. You've got Mario Cristobal coming in and basically saving the ship after Willie Taggart said, Who was really a no name. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, you've got guys who are coming in, but he's got that experience at Alabama. You've got that other thing. You've got a yeah. lot of different things that I think the Pac 12 is sort of evolving. Yep. And I think that's why they're getting the respect that they probably deserved before. But at least they're getting it at some point. So Better it is late interesting. Than never. Yeah, and and to go into the to the rankings, I was surprised Oregon was ranked ahead of Washington. Not because I think Washington deserves to be ahead of Oregon, but because the coaches poll had come out and Washington was twelve and Oregon was thirteen. Yeah. So when it came out and Oregon was above them, I went, oh good, okay, maybe the nation is maybe the national writers are paying more attention than the coaches do. And from experience <laughs> of listening to what Coach Leach does with his ballot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the national writers pay more attention than the coaches do. So when I look at the top 25 and the AP, I took that I take that a lot more seriously than what the coaches poll put out. You've got Oregon at 11. You've got Washington and Utah back-to-back at 13-14. Those are your teams that right now I see as the contenders out of the Pac-12. I don't think 
As much as I love my Cougs, they're not yeah. competing for the Pac-12 title. Why? They're never going to get past Washington as long as they focus, as the Cougs focus on speed and Washington focuses on, I'm going to just run you over and I'm going to out-aggressive you. It's never going to work for Mike Leach because these guys cannot get away from the, the, the defensive backs that are too big or strong or the defensive line wrecks whatever offensive line continuity had been working for the Cougs. I mean, you look at the last three, four years, the Apple Cup is always a bloodbath because there is nowhere for the quarterback to yeah. go with the ball or his feet. And so it's it's never going to be the same. It's never going to change until somehow they break through and they go, oh, this is what we need to do. And that just hasn't happened yet. Stanford is going to be better, but they're not going to be compete for the North better just yet like they were, you know, the Jim Harbaugh, Andrew Luck years, and then the early David Shaw years. He's still a damn good coach. Oh, yeah, and he's had that program at, at a very consistent level and a decent consistent level for his entire almost 10-year career now. And that defense is always going to make you go, oh, crap, we have to play Stanford? Yeah, I'm not happy about that. And as much as they run a lot of those two tight end sets and they've got a lot of guys on the offensive line, to, they can still run you over, whether it's a big back bullying you through or a quick back when they had Christian McCaffrey. Stanford is always built to be successful. Will they be successful? That's why you play the game is because it's not always going to just come out the way it looks on paper. These five teams are good. Whether or not they end up being the only five teams of the Pac-12 in the final ranking or if any of them continue to be in the final ranking, obviously it will remain to be seen. But the teams that are at the top of the Pac-12, I do also, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Yeah. I think a little bit, not a slap in the face, but I think that the fact that there are no Pac-12 teams in the top 10 and that Oregon is just so close, I wonder if that's a little bit of a, we think you're good. We don't think you're that good. You know, I've actually hadn't thought about that. That's a really great question. And now that you, you make me examine it and look at it, I'm my blood starts boiling a little bit more <laughs> and more it? with each second because I you're right. I I think Oregon is a much better team than LSU. I think they're way better than Michigan. I'm sorry. I really think that that's true. And Notre Dame and Texas, are you kidding me? Oregon's not better than them right now. You're serious with Justin Herbert, the top 10 draft pick? Are you kidding me? Heisman Trophy candidate with 10 starters returning on offense and 7 on defense and Oregon's number 11 below Texas and Notre Dame. I don't mean to go Stephen A. Smith, but oh my gosh, just what you pointed out to me just now. Holy crap. Yeah, that's terrible. You're I right. Lit, I lit the fuse a little bit. You really got it under me. Okay, so we got to get off two, this. Those two real quick is 100% brand. That's history. You're right. That's that's Ugh. all those things that you and I have talked about off right. of, off the air and off the podcast. Got, yep. Is just this is the respect that they've gained yep. for no reason anymore. When was the last time Notre Dame was legitimately good? And I understand, yes, they made it to the when the movie Rudy came out. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm just kidding. I know, I they know lost, that they've been better since then. I all know right. they got to the title game and lost to Alabama when it was still the BCS, but it was the BCS. And who did they play that season? I don't remember anybody that they played and they got smacked. So before you come at me and you tell me, oh, Notre Dame is good, Texas is good, Texas is good. I will give you that one. Texas is going to be better than they've been in years past, and I have full confidence in but their coach. But ten? But I, exactly. I think that Oregon and Justin Herbert, I think from the quarterback standpoint, you can argue that either of those could be a toss-up. I don't know who the hell the quarterback is for Notre Dame, and you know I don't think I need to know who that is because I honestly don't think Notre Dame's going to be that good. Maybe that's me being biased towards the fact that I hate that they always get the benefit of the doubt. It feels like the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are the Dallas Cowboys of college football. Yeah. Notre Dame gets the, oh, well, 
they'll be fine. Just like the Cowboys in the NFL get the, oh, they're going to be great. They're going to win the Super Bowl this year. What? Why are they always going to win the Super Bowl? Why is Notre Dame always going to be the team that goes, we're independent and we're going to make it to the CFP Final Four? <laughs> no. No, you're not. Okay, you want to move on? Let's move on. I, I mean, Texas, uh, I think a lot of people, I guess, uh, people think that they're going to take a big leap this year. Their quarterback, Sam Ellinger, and the Longhorns were decent last year, second in the Big 12 in 2018. Good flashes. And they've come a long way uh, from the Mac Brown debacle uh, coming in after getting replaced and whatnot and just really just drama all over the place yeah. at the University of Texas for a good two, three seasons. And uh, I don't think they're better than Oregon at this point, but I guess that they are. All right, yeah, we got to stop talking about these rankings. <laughs> they're just upsetting me. Uh, one thing I did want to point out, Oregon's opening opponent, uh, the Auburn Tigers, they are sitting at number 16 right now. I think appropriate. That is very appropriate. I mean, uh, Auburn, they, on uh, other than the Oregon Ducks, probably have the best offensive line and defensive line in college football. We're talking with the two teams that are matching up, Oregon and Auburn, to open the season, possibly the two best lines in college football overall. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I think that the, you look at these teams and you look at you know teams like Alabama, Clemson, other guys like that, and you see what they are as a team, and I think that's what makes it the cohesion, whereas yes. like you might have position groups that really stand out with you know Oregon, Auburn, and all these other teams, and that's why they get to this top 25 type of level, along with the hey, I know this team has been good in the past. I'll put them in. That's what I think. That's why I think Washington State made it to the top 25 because te- people go, oh, they won 11 games last year. It's the first time the Cougs have won 11 games ever in program history. <laughs> they're going to be good again. They don't know that. Min- nope. They're not paying attention to that Minshew's gone. They don't realize that Anthony Gordon, a redshirt freshman or redshirt senior who's never seen a pro or seen a college field right. before is going to play. But again, that's why I've never liked the rankings, but I will take them because it gives me something to talk about and to complain about. It's true, and we're only a week away, so we can finally stop focusing on all of this here soon. Right. And get into some actual play. And speaking of actual play and positions, uh, the Ducks wide receivers, a bit of bad news all through fall camp for a Oregon. A bit of bad news. Uh, well, it's just like another it's hit. It's an avalanche. Over and over, <laughs> week after week. First, we heard a couple of weeks ago, Stud senior Brennan Schooler, who plays the slot really well for Oregon, is going to be out four to six weeks with a foot injury. Then, a couple weeks after that, we're now hearing a very, very big freshman impact player. Micah Pittman looked really good at the spring game, actually opened a lot of eyes at the spring game, looked really good in fall camp, has been uh, someone that Justin Herbert was actually going to be leaning on going into the season, even as a freshman. Now he's down with a shoulder injury, so he's going to be out possibly six weeks. So we're looking now two wide receivers out a month and a half. And then you looked at guys like uh, the younger. Also, uh, we've got another kid, Josh Delgado, J.R. Waters, both freshmen. J.R. Waters is going to be out four to six weeks as well. He underwent a procedure. Jawan Johnson actually had been held out of workouts for the past week or so. I think he's going to be okay by the time that Oregon plays Auburn next Friday. So, by the way, Jawan Johnson, if you haven't heard that name yet, he is supposed to be the guy coming in, the graduate transfer that is going to fill that hole and replace Dylan Mitchell 
uh, as the go-to receiver for Justin Herbert, the big, tall, lanky, fast guy that's going to be the stretch in the end zone, catching a lot of passes over defenders. So he's going to be a huge piece. At this point, to start at wide receiver uh, against Auburn, you're looking at Jawan Johnson, Johnny Johnson the third, and then junior Jalen Red, who has just kind of been there as an impact player since he started his career at Oregon. You've heard his name come up pretty much every single game as consistently contributing, and, and I don't like to use the word consistent because that just means that you're good, but but I guess in this case it's actually appropriate because he just always shows up and he's always in the box score and making a difference for Oregon. Oregon's offense, Jalen Red has every game in his career, so he's going to be important, but now at this point you've got to lean on guys that you weren't planning on leaning on. Josh Delgado, somebody that's going to be getting a few more touches than you planned on, and other guys at the wide receiver, Justin Collins, uh, Brian Addison, Daywood Davis, the redshirt sophomore. Some of these guys are unknowns, Matthew. And Justin Herbert, uh, we were finally talking about the comfort of the position that he had that's been a little bit empty in the cupboard-wise the past five or ten seasons at Oregon. Now, all of a sudden, Mario Cristobal is facing that same issue again. Yeah, and it's it's nothing he has control over. It's not, yep. you know, like the it's it's not like it's just guys deciding to go to the NFL. It's guys going to the NFL, guys getting hurt, maybe guys transfer, things like that. Now, I remember one of the big conversation points during the whole will he leave, will he stay for Justin Herbert was, oh, well, if he stays, he'll get to play with his brother. Anything to that in terms of, you know, his brother making any strides? I believe yeah, he was a yeah. tight end. Yeah, Patrick Herbert actually coming in as a tight end and looking so athletic in fall camp, according to Mario Cristobal, that they were possibly including him in some schemes as the slot. Which, wow. personally, as as a diehard football fan, someone that's played Madden football growing <laughs> up on the PlayStation, I love guys with the athleticism that can block hard at the tight end, but then can also step out like Bruce Gronkowski did in his career for the New England Patriots and be a complete stud at the X or the slot and then go and catch balls 25 yards downfield and still have that finishing speed. So that's a great question. I think Patrick Herbert, if he is learning the scheme at the speed that he is and if he's picking up on the Ducks' offense well enough, I think Mario Cristobal might be able to lean on him. Another guy uh, who has been out at the tight end position, Cam McCormick, uh, he has returned to action in the last couple of days. And behind him on the depth chart, everybody knows this guy, Jacob Breeland. He's been involved with some huge plays with Justin Herbert in his Ducks career. They've just been on, it seems, uh, in big moments. And Breeland is obviously going to be able to step up and make an impact as well. And I think he's a guy also that has that burning speed that can step up into the slot. So they have guys. They have a mix of really stud athletes that can play at different spots, and you can do that more in college football, that I think Justin Herbert is going to be okay against teams like Montana or Nevada. But, you know, against Auburn, yeah, we're going to need to see Juwan Johnson making multiple big plays. We're going to see Jalen Red and that experience hopefully coming in and making a difference for the Oregon Ducks early. I mean, the first or second series, they have got to set the tone against Auburn, and the wide receiver position is going to be a big deal and going to be a big part of doing that. So I think that they have guys, but it is a little unnerving to see their situation at the wide receiver spot right now. There was a lot of good things that I remember watching last year when it came to running back stepping up guys that I either hadn't heard of before or guys that were not expected to be 
the studs. Cyrus Habibi Leakio. You had Travis you, Dye. Right, or had, Troy Dye, excuse me. You no, know, Travis Dye. Troy Dye's the stud on D. Right, Travis right. is his brother. And you had, of course, TJ Verdell, who did so many good things because we all thought it was going to be Tony Bershames. Knocking TBJ off the depth chart. And you went, what the heck is going on here? So my question is not about how the running backs will do as running backs. How do you think they will be as pass catchers? Because that could be a huge thing that these guys need to they need to evolutionize for this offense to be able to sustain itself when you've got so many wide receivers gone. Do you think that the running backs will have a big impact in the passing game? Um, I think if it's going to be the running backs in the passing game having an impact, it's going to be Travis Dye, CJ Vidal, uh, Cyrus Habibi Likio. They're just more of the barrel uh, forward body types. And CJ, his speed, his closing speed is insane. And if he if he's against anybody in the back of uh, the defensive backfield with a 20 yard run to beat them, he's going to win. But I just don't think he can get out quick enough. I think Travis Dye out of the running back position actually has that that quicker, uh, you know, he can turn, he can yeah. really rotate differently than a bigger guy like Habibi Likio or C.J. Verdell can. So I think Die could make an impact from the uh, running back position at wide receiver, but that, in my opinion, would be the only guy that would do so. All right, we got to take another break. We've been talking a lot of position battles here in the past couple of minutes. When we come back, we are going to break down Oregon's games against Washington and Washington State. And we're going to do that with Matthew Zimmer, my colleague from Alpha Media. This is Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Matthew Zimmer, my colleague from Alpha Media, joining me for this episode. He is a Washington State Cougars grad, and we've been spending the summer so far previewing opponents of Oregon, uh, at least in-conference opponents. So it's going to be really cool to talk about Washington State and, of course, the rival Huskies. I mean, personally, I think that the Cougars have been like a 2A rival for the Ducks in, They're in a the fun past few rival. years. Yeah. We don't hate the Ducks like no. we hate the the Huskies, I don't think. I mean, I, I think that there are certain fans that I know who hate the Ducks. And when I was growing up here and I was I was probably more of a Beavers fan because I had so many friends who were, oh, yeah, I love the Ducks. But a lot of them only started <laughs> to love the Ducks when they were getting the national attention. I was like, where were you last year? Like we were friends last year and you weren't this big of a Ducks fan. What the hell was going on then? They're like, uh, leave me alone. And I'm like, oh, okay. I hate the bandwagon jumpers. I can't stand it. That's why that's one of the reasons I couldn't stand Seahawks fans for a while, and I finally got over that. But anyway, let's let's focus on this. All right, so we're gonna break down. Uh, we'll start with the Huskies first, and then we'll get into your forte, the okay. Washington State Cougars, uh, Washington and Oregon matching up in Seattle on October nineteenth, and then the following week, Oregon going back home facing at this point the number twenty three Washington State Cougars. A big story out of Seattle this year: mm-hmm. the departure of Jake Browning. And they actually had a bit of a quarterback uh, competition all through spring ball and fall camp. If you want to call it that. Well, (laughs) yeah, they had a transfer come in, a Georgia transfer, Jacob Eason. Who everybody on the outside went, there's the guy. Exactly. But they had (laughs) another guy, I think it was Jake Haney. That sounds right. And uh, actually just announcing that he was going to be leaving Washington's program. And you know what? (laughs) I didn't get the job. I don't want to be here. Good riddance to you. You don't want to put in the hard work. You don't. Oh, you know what? I'm the guy and I'm going to go somewhere where they tell me that I'm awesome at Mississippi State. 
Tech. I'm going to be the starting quarterback. You know what? Just because you think you're the guy doesn't mean that you could be a starter on any of the 130 FBS teams in college football. I'm sorry. True. Like, I think I'm better at some things than I actually am, and I have to accept that I'm not that guy. So we all do. And just because you personally have the option to go to another school doesn't mean that you should. Braxton Burmeister did the same thing going to Virginia Tech. He has to sit out a year, and then he's going to come back and compete next season. Oh, just mark my words now. When he comes back and competes for that job at Virginia Tech next season, he's going to look as anemic as he did when he started in place of Justin Herbert against Washington. So I, I just that oh man, sorry to get off on that tangent, but that <laughs> that really grinds my gears when these quarterbacks and the players in college basketball that are leaving because they don't get the playing time that they think they should to go to another program. Why would you leave a team like Oregon? Anyways, good for Jacob Eason winning the yes. job in Washington is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Chris Peterson has his guy at the quarterback position. Some are saying that Easton actually could be better than Browning just because Browning had some limitations. Uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily the biggest guy. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard. You, you don't have that Justin Herbert type flashy arm in a guy like Jake Browning, but he was good in other ways. Easton has that arm. He can actually get out of the pocket as well. So he gives the Washington Huskies a. I'd say a better look on offense and for what Chris Peterson wants to scheme and them being ranked so high to start the year at number 13. Washington is set up for success this year, and I think that they are going to not only be Oregon's biggest challenge in the Pac-12, but nationally are going to get the most respect from everybody all year out of the Pac-12. I really think that people love what Chris Peterson is doing. And despite Oregon being the better team on paper right now, Matthew, I think Washington has a lot of people behind them and supporting them. Yeah, I think one of the things that's frustrating is, especially as a Coug, um, I don't know how much coverage that it got here in on the Oregon side of things, mm-hmm. but Jacob Eason went to Lake Stevens High School, or yes. it wasn't Lake Stevens, um, in Washington, and when there was rumor that he was going to open up his uh, recruitment, Washington State and Mike Leach made a pitch and made a made a push at him, and and he deleted it. Like uh, Eason deleted his Twitter account and everything like that to get off the grid because he was like, I don't want to be around all these, you know, I don't want to be around all the speculation. Like, and stop. Stuff. Just leave me alone for a second. Yeah. And he ended up sticking with his commitment to Georgia, which was great. And then when he got beat out, he said, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. And he pulled <laughs> he pulled one of those transfers and went to Washington, sat out, and now he's ready to take the job. I think it's a good fit for him. I think he will do well with the Huskies, which hurts me to say out loud. But it's not surprising. This guy was studly before Eason took the job. There was a lot of good things about him. He's listed at 6'5", 227. That's a quarterback body. Yep. That's a dude Stood. who is probably more muscle than anything at 227. And so this is going to be a quarterback who I don't think will elevate them that much, but I think he can elevate them past what Jake Browning did last year. I don't think that they will be in the college football playoff, but I think they will be more competitive. I think they could be maybe a two-loss team that maybe fights for a chance at a, at a prominent bowl game, depending on how the rest of the college football landscape lays out. But yeah. honestly... If they lose two games, they have to lose two games against good and ranked Pac-12 teams. The only teams they'd be allowed to lose against would be teams like Oregon, like Washington State, like a Utah if a, or a team in the South who ends up being ranked when they play them. So this Washington team, always good on defense. And Chris Peterson, 
as soon as he left Boise State and he went to Washington, I was crushed. I didn't think he was going to come to Washington State because yeah. I loved Mike Leach. Yeah. But as soon as he went to the Huskies, I went, this is going to suck for at least a decade. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow from your point of view. Uh, speaking of the coaches, bitter rivals, Washington and Oregon now have a guy, uh, Oregon, in their ranks that worked with Chris Peterson in the past at Boise State. Of course, new defensive coordinator Andy Avalos worked under him uh, while they were in Idaho. You think that's going to give them an advantage at all going in? Is Andy Avalos going to know what Chris Peterson's doing, or is is that kind of thing oversold in college football? I think that's hard to say he'll know because I don't think Chris Peterson knows sometimes what he's going to do because <laughs> Fair point. that dude is so creative that I wonder if he's got the play sheet in front of him and he just go and it just says, hmm, make it up right now. All right, let's do the make it up right now play. Just go run. Just tell everybody to go run different routes. I like and we'll see that if it works. the Ducks didn't do that enough last year. <laughs> so I, I'm a fan of that at times. I really, I think that's what separates Chris Peterson from a lot of his colleagues. He's very unique and he's very just do what he, whatever he wants in the moment. I mean, run a fake punt, run a re- receiver reverse that turns into a pass, and you're going, where the hell did this come from? Run the Statue of Liberty in the biggest bowl game of your program's history when he was with Boise State against Oklahoma. There, I mean, there are so many times that you can look at what Chris Peterson does and you go, I don't know why you did that, but holy crap, that worked to perfection. Marcus Arroyo needs to take a page out of that book. And I that's one of the things that I think concerns me more is I think that I'm not worried about Andy Avalos, which might be a surprise to some people, but coming from Boise State, you've been at least on the big stage a little bit, maybe enough, but also you're coming to a program that has better facilities, has better opportunities, better recruits are coming in. Looking at you, Thibodeau, there's a lot of good players on this defense that were not getting respect enough last year because there were some big plays given up here and there. But at the same time, this Oregon defense is going to improve. And I say that I think mostly because as much as Jim Levitt gets a lot of love in certain areas, I feel like him and Cristobal were at odds. Oh, the they were. Second it was that obvious. Cristobal got the job because you knew Levitt wanted that head coaching title. And as soon as he didn't get it and was like, oh, yeah, I'll stay on, I went, oh. As an outsider, I did that. I was just, I didn't like that stick sticking around because it didn't, it almost didn't feel like Cristobal had a say in keeping and making, you know, that decision to keep Levitt. So, I think the addition of Avalos, I was surprised they kept their offensive coordinator. You and I talked about this a number of times last season. The offensive play calling was stagnant, predictable, and sometimes downright boring. Part and of the reason that look they at the could... Red Box Bowl. Oh my God! I mean, I don't want to bring that up because I know that'll just piss Duck fans off. But it, I, to me, it's that like is they the gave quintessential up offensively. Yeah, at the end is, of the season, that is the definition of what I see happening if 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 you don't get improvement on the offensive play calling side of, side of things. Otherwise, you're just going to be standing around looking for things to hopefully happen. That's Matthew Zimmer, one of my colleagues from 750 The Game at Alpha Media in Portland, Oregon. We're talking Washington Huskies right now on the weekly Webfoot Review. Uh, just one more quick thing uh, about the Huskies that I wanted to go over. Um, of course, uh, by the way, throw in there too the departure of Miles Gaskin, going right. to be big. Salvin Ahmed Jr., going to be the new starter in the backfield. But the difference on defense for Washington against Oregon's offense. This is one thing I wanted to talk about really quick before we move on to the Cougars. Oregon has 10 of 11 starters coming back on offense. And then their one starter that left, Dylan Mitchell, is replaced by graduate transfer Jawan Johnson, right. who's going to be a stud and has already looked like he's been here for two years in Eugene. 
and that very experienced offensive line. Some say it's the best in the nation for Oregon. On the other side, Washington lost a ton of guys on the defensive side of the ball. Is that mismatch going to be the key for the Ducks when they go up to Seattle? I think it'll help, but help me rem- remind me, and if you have to look it up, look it up. It's fine. When do they play each other? What that, point in the uh, season? October. October 26th, I believe. So semi-early. No, October 19th, sorry. So what, Cougs are on the 26th. What, so what Pac-12 game is that for, for Oregon? Is that their first one? Their one, second two, one? three, four. No, that's uh, about four games in. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I'm I'm way off. I'm thinking way too late. I know we're so close to the season. I'm 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 misremembering how months work. Apparently. So no, you're good. No, that's middle. <laughs> that's middle of the year Pac-12 season. So the reason I don't think it will matter very much is because I think by game five, six, whatever you want to call it for for the Huskies, maybe it's game three or four. The the defense will have a lot of things figured out. I think that they'll have a lot of the guys in place that they want. They'll have the scheme the, the way that they want. I don't, I don't think that there will be a lot of concern because it feels like as soon as Chris Peterson got to Washington, I won't say he scrubbed out everything from the Huskies from what they had from Sark, but it just <laughs> it feels like as soon as he got there, he went, I'm going to build this program the same way I did with Boise State. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to fix everything, and I'm going to build depth. And he did that. And it feels like every year that they lose guys, you throw somebody new at you and you go, who the hell is this guy? Where did he come from? And why'd you make him a stud? And it's Chris Peterson. That's just who he is. I love it. All right, let's move on to your expertise. The Washington State Cougars going to be playing Oregon at Autzen Stadium after they go up to Seattle the following week, October 26th. This is a tough schedule for Oregon this year. I, yeah. I mean, they, they had kind of a cupcake year last year, in my opinion, and have, have avoided USC for a couple of seasons. Now they have to actually play them. And Washington State, even with the loss of Gardner Minshew, meant, uh, like I said earlier, Mike Leach is that X factor. And no matter who he has at his disposal, that's a tough game every single year. So, Matthew, you know a little bit more about this than I do. Uh, the quarterback situation up in Washington State where is that going into 2019? Who is going to replace Gardner Minshew for Mike Leach? Well, it's interesting that you just had this week, you saw uh, Mike Leach talk about I saw it on Twitter. He had mentioned that uh, there was going to be a little more reps going the way of one Anthony Gordon, who competed mm-hmm. with Minshew last year for the job and ended up losing out to Minshew for the starting job. But redshirt senior Anthony Gordon is going to be the starting quarterback, according to Mike Leach, for at least week one. Now, uh, Mike Leach is very known to... Do whatever the hell he wants. I mean, love it. Go back to go back to. Do you remember Luke Falk's senior year? Everybody was going. Luke Falk is going to light the world on fire. He's going to finally set all the <laughs> Pac-12 records, and he did eclipse the Pac-12 career records in a lot of areas. Luke Falk was replaced more times than I can remember by his backup quarterback, then Tyler Herlinski, than I think he had been the entire time he had been a Coug at that point. Because I think Mike Leach got to the point where he said, enough of the BS. You know you're a better quarterback than this. Stop making dumb mistakes. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to have a short leash with Gordon or a long leash with him. Okay. But I think it will be something where they got the guy, the kid from uh, East, Eastern Washington. I always pronounce his ra- name wrong, but Gage Jabrood. He's from McMinnville, interestingly enough. Nice. Local um, kid. So Good luck to him. I hope he gets a chance to play for the Cougs because when he played against the Cougs, he torched us. So I want to know what he could do with us. But if Anthony Gordon beat him out, yeah, that's even better to me because I went, I knew what this kid could do. This guy's got to be even better if he beat him out. So Anthony Gordon impressed Leach during spring. 
continued it through camp. He admitted that as much on uh, Saturday. So, yeah, I, I think that he's just going to continue to be impressive. Now, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out once again, I know you kind of mentioned it, at Washington State coming off of their best season pretty yeah. much ever. 11-2 and two last year, uh, finished as the number 10 team in the AP under Mike Leach in his 7th or 8th season as head coach up there in Pullman. So, do you expect them to have a similar year as uh, both a Kooks fan and an analyst? I mean, are, in fact, that, uh, that's a good question. Analyst and fan, are, are those two spots in your mind aligned right now? Do, do you believe the team is going to be better than they actually are? Or, or is the team pretty consistent with what they are on paper and what they are expected to be, I guess? You look at what they've got on their schedule, and they, they're they non-conference. New, New Mexico State, Northern Colorado, Houston. I think two wins minimum. I think they can beat Houston, but I think that will be the test, yeah. obviously, e- especially because it's at Houston. So it's a battle of Cougars. That one could go either way. Depending That's a tough on how, road trip, too. Yeah. Um, then you've got back at home, UCLA at Utah, at Arizona State versus Colorado That's at Oregon, at Cal. They finished their final three games at home, but it's Stanford, Oregon State. Sorry, Beavs. Sorry, Beavs. Uh, yeah. And Washington. Now, and it's going to be at Washington for the Apple Cup this year. So it's the final two wow. games. The final two home games are Stanford and Oregon State. So you could have some good momentum going into the Apple Cup, but we've seen that happen before as a Kook fan. I've seen it so many times that they're like, yes, they've got the momentum. They're going to carry that into the next week. Momentum carries you into the first drive of the next week, and that's it. Yeah. Other than that, your momentum means absolute garbage. And whenever somebody tells you differently, they are telling you that to either tell it to the media so that the players hear it and they try to bring it farther than that first drive or they're trying to convince themselves that that, that momentum actually helps. It does not. Okay. To answer the question as an analyst, no. The Cougs will not be close to 11 wins next year. They will be down probably in the, I will say at most they'll probably win nine. Really? Okay. I don't think that they will win nine. That's the thing. Yeah. I think that that's their best it's case scenario. It's a hard schedule, man. Yeah. I mean, you've got at Utah, who the Pac-12 media picked to win the conference uh, during Pac-12 media days. So I don't see the Cougs necessarily winning that one at Salt Lake. But, hey, they beat the, they beat the Utes last year on a wild last-second touchdown or last-quarter you know quarter touchdown. All in all... I think my fandom and my analysis is on point with it because I don't, or I should say in the same realm, because I honestly, I love this team. I will always love this team, but I have to be realistic and I want to temper my expectations so that if they do suck, I'm not furious every week. Or if they're really good, I'm not just totally surprised all the time. I know they're going to be good. I know they can be competitive in the conference, but the thing is, is I'm not going to be naive enough to think that they're going to compete for a Pac-12 title. For sure, and that I, I ask that question because I am such a hardcore Oregon fan, but I really do, I try to be honest with myself when I analyze them and say, how are they going to do this season? And I've I've been, there have been years where I've been like, oh, I hear people saying they're going to have eight, nine, or ten wins, and I'm like, yeah, right, good luck, you're crazy, they're <laughs> going to get six or seven at best. Right. And then there's years like this year, Matthew, where I am all in on the Ducks, because here, you only have a situation like Oregon has every few years where you've got a stud. At best. At best, exactly. And the fact that they've had lightning in a bottle twice in the past five to six years with Marcus Mariota and Justin Herbert, two generational-type talent quarterbacks in the same decade, that never happens. So you've got that, plus so many guys returning on the offensive side together. 
including the entire offensive line, mm-hmm. four of which are seniors. So you've got an extremely experienced offensive line. You've got wide receivers and tight ends that Justin Herbert has built a rapport with. You've got the stud at running back that has literally just continued the line of great running backs in succession at Oregon with C.J. Verdell. And then on the defensive side, you've got so many guys, seven dudes coming back as well yep. with Troy Dye. you got a young five-star Kayvon Thibodeau defensive end coming in that is going to absolutely wreck the Pac-12 this year. I, I get. I, I could just go on forever with this. The point is, all of these stars aligning doesn't happen very often. And when you talk about the progression of a college football, specifically a football program, and and, and getting there with a second-year head coach amongst all the drama after Mark Helfrich and after Willie Taggart and mm-hmm. the debacle, yeah, they're they're where they are now. Even after all of that. A, you're in the twilight zone as a Duck fan. You couldn't have asked for anything better. And B, like I said, this never happens. So that's why I asked that question because I can't, I I don't want to get too far, you know, on the bandwagon, but I can't remove myself from the thought process because Oregon, there is no reason they shouldn't be that good this year. There is no reason if they play well that they shouldn't win out in the Pac-12. It's call me crazy, but that's just my opinion. They have enough talent. They have enough ability. They have the star quarterback. The problem will be the things that we saw last year if yes. they rear their head again, and that's just dropped passes, inexplicable penalties, yeah. uh, just dumb, stupid penalties. The inability to come things. out and start a game, and it's it's things that are very easy to do when you're winning. When you're losing, it becomes a lot more difficult because you're looking at yourself a lot more intensely. A lot of times, and I've seen this a lot with people in their regular jobs. I mean, I do this to myself. I'm my own worst critic. Yep. And football players will probably get on themselves more than anybody. However, you also have players who are so far interested in themselves and talking themselves up that sometimes they get to a point where they're like, I don't need to practice. I don't need to do better at this. Talking about practice? You yes, Alan Iverson. And, 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 and yeah. so it's just, it's, it's this Oregon team. From a Cougar perspective, this Oregon team has a chance to be a special team if they get their you-know-what together. Yes. If they can get their butt in gear, if they can turn the negatives into positives, if they can get good offensive play. There's a lot of ifs with this team, and I think that's what makes me concerned I agree. from the outside looking in is I go, okay, if you get better play calling on offense, if the defense does take a step forward with Andy Alvarez, if... I think, Justin those, Herbert all makes under, all those, things I think those all fall under one purview, though, and that's culture. I think yes. it is the culture of the Oregon football program and going to be about it. success. It, exactly. And, and so, you know, if you have two good weeks in fall camp, it's going to lead to better things. If you have two weeks where you're kind of running around listfully and guys are missing their spots or their. So, so you saw when Mario Cristobal came in, changing the tone of yep. the program from Willie Taggart, kind of being more. Uh, Willie Taggart just kind of walking around practice with his arms folded. Mario Cristobal was a in-practice freaking general from what I've heard from people. He is just in your face. He gets involved with all the different uh, exercises going on, and that's what you want out of your head coach. So I, I think that that culture that needs to be there to establish that success, I think I think they're on their way. You've got a guy who has so much experience with what he did in Alabama and whatnot and, yep. and, and other places that you know he wants you know what he wants to do, and he knows that he can get it done. It's just a matter of can the players execute properly what they've been taught. And I think that's always the thing in college that gets me more than it does even in the NFL Yeah, is that these are kids, 
And there's going to be a lot of times where they make a mental lapse because guess what? They're playing a game on national TV and they don't get paid for it, by the way. Now, that's a different, that's a whole different debacle. Oh, argument. yeah, no, you and I but, could have an entire episode just about that. But it, it, it's something where you've got these kids on a stage where they may never be again. You've got guys who may never make it to the NFL and may never play on a stage bigger than this, and they freak themselves out and they are unable to perform, whether it's a dropped ball, a ball that hits them in the middle of the hands yep. on third down and six, and they're seven yards through, and they've already got the first down. Oop, there's the ball. Dropped it. <laughs> Whoop, guess it's time to punt. And it's something that it's it's difficult for them, and I think that as long as the execution is there, this team is going to be a pain in the Pac-12's rear in the other team sense. As a conference, they're going to go, yeah, all right, let's go. Keep going. Pac-12, let's go represent in the in the CFP Final Four. We haven't had a Final Four team in, what, three, three years, something like that, yep. since Washington got smacked by Alabama. Yep. So it's time. And like you said, if the time is now, it's Oregon's time to me. I, I understand people like Utah and, and Huntley coming back, but Herbert is a better quarterback. Way better. Uh, all right, one last question before we wrap up and get out of here regarding the Cougars, the Mike Leach factor. Yes. I, I got to ask you, going forward, so you don't think that they're going to be as successful going into this season, you think eight, nine wins tops is their ceiling. Uh, a, will Mike Leach be at Washington State for much longer? I know a lot of people have been talking about that. And, and, and B, do you think that he can take this group of guys that he has back to the level of success or close to the level of success they had last year. One of the easy cop-outs is that with Mike Leach, it it's all possible. I mean, totally. Hell, well, he could I, run the table next year and go 11 and 11 and two again. And I would go, Leech, bro. I, I don't would think go, that's wow. All right, cool. Thanks. Uh, appreciate that. But no, I, I think what it is, is Leach was interested and Tennessee was interested a couple years ago. And, yeah. and the papers were practically signed. And the only reason he didn't leave is because the higher-ups at Tennessee said, no way, there's not going to happen. We're not having Mike Leach as our coach. And it blew up and the athletic director got fired and it was a whole big dumpster fire, just like Tennessee. Well, those guys are idiots. Yeah. yeah. That- and so the more I think about it, I thought last year he was going to leave, especially after the season of Gardner Minshew and Mustache Mania and all right? the stuff that was going on. I leave was like, on top. I was like, Leach is gone, and I said, and I will love him, and I will not. Dis- I will not have a problem with him taking off and going and riding off into the sunset to a different team and going somewhere else. But he didn't. He decided to stay, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he stays for his whole career. There, are the the problem with Leach that Washington State and Texas Tech loved. In terms of the fans, mm-hmm. he is unique. He is a quirky, weird dude, and he is only some people's cup of tea. And there are a lot of athletic directors. There are a lot of boosters, and there's the selling point. If you're not getting money because your head football coach is Mike Leach because he's eccentric and weird and wild and supports Donald Trump and whatnot or whatever you want to talk about because that was a thing that happened. He introduced Trump in Spokane in Washington at one point, and people were like, whoa, even Ugh. Cougar fans were upset about it. Yeah, so, but... but- I- just the stuck up minus the political minus the political take everything away it is so he's a good football coach yeah it is and it's stuck up if you're not going to support him because of who he is as a person and I think I think that Tennessee will probably realize they made a mistake now I think Butch Davis is a fine coach Tennessee has made a lot of mistakes yeah I think uh-huh. I think Butch is a fine coach, but he's not Mike Leach. He's not going to uh, revolutionize your program. And I think the thing is, is Mike fits in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is a really throw-heavy conference. Yes. You go to the SEC, 
I don't know that the air raid would work as much. So I, I, I think to a certain extent he's found his niche, and I think he likes his niche. And Pullman is very Lubbock-ish, and he probably would have stayed at Texas Tech for his whole career if the whole thing hadn't I happened. I always with, thought he was going with Craig to. James's kid. Yeah, but I think Mike Leach is going to stay at Washington State until they kick him out or until he finds a better job. And I, that could be next year. That could be never. He could retire a Coug, and I wouldn't be surprised. He could leave after next season, and I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, he is such a weird person to try to predict. I hate that I'm giving you such a cop-out answer, but no, I, honestly, I, he I could leave next year. Okay. But I, I think that he'll be around. Um, he doesn't have a quarterback that he's really seems to be sold on. Cameron Cooper came in last year and was supposed to light the world on fire. Yogi Roth at one point for Pac-12 Network said that Cameron Cooper was going to reset all the records Luke Falk had just set. Yeah. And Cam Cooper is a redshirt freshman who will not see the field unless Anthony Gordon and probably Gage Jabrud do not perform well. So either Cameron is struggling with the playbook or he's not as good as we all thought he was going to be or maybe the college level is just too much for him. All in all, Mike Leach will stay as long as he wants to in Washington State. They will keep him. They will keep signing him to contract extensions. They will keep him around as long as he wants to be the coach there because he is the most successful coach since the early 2000s. I mean, it's been a long time. I think Coach Price was the last time we had this much success as a program, and I don't think it's close. Um, Price and Bill Dobo was a decent name yeah. uh, for them for, what, 10 or 15 years? I mean, he, he was the guy for... I think five years and was an assistant before that. So I just, that's yeah. those old names from the mid 2000s will always, Jason Gesser was, I yep. think, under his purview. Alex back. Brink was exactly. You we're, had so many stud back. quarterback guys yeah. that, you know, made a name that because they weren't air raid, they actually had a chance at the NFL. And then you got guys like Luke Falk and Gardner Minshew. Now, Gardner Minshew's actually getting a chance. We'll see. But he's, Oh, I got the inside track on that backup quarterback job in Jacksonville. He does, and good for him. He's actually looked really good in preseason. Dude went from, I will go be a a backup at Alabama to learn how to be a good coach to leading, coming close to leading the nation in passing, setting the single-season passing record in Pac-12 history, and becoming a draft pick and surprising and really lighting things up with Doug Marone. And Marone loves him in Florida. <laughs> and Tom Coughlin loves him. Yeah. And so... If you've got the higher-ups love, you're kind of set. Speaking of which, I know you brought up Tennessee. Uh, you want to know my favorite Tennessee factoid? Of course. That <laughs> Lane Kiffin in the one season that he was in Tennessee before he leapt out for USC, he named his kid Knox after the town of <laughs> Knoxville. So forever, forever, Lane Kiffin has a memory in his child named Knox of the one season that he spent as head coach at the University of Tennessee. That is the most Lane Kiffin thing ever. Isn't it? He named his damn kid Knox. That's a good place to end. All right. All right. That's going to do it for the weekly Webfoot Review. Matthew Zimmer, thank you so much for joining me, helping preview Washington and Washington State. We've got a lot more previews coming up here. I'm kind of going to rapid fire some content at all you Duck fans for the weekly Webfoot Review. Uh, Beat reporters Michael Lev, Michelle Gardner. We've also got host of the Joe Beaver Show, John Warren, on to preview the Beavers. Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. We're going to get all of those Pac-12 previews out there to you before the Auburn-Oregon. 
Larkin came and take a look next week. We're going to have a nice episode previewing what Oregon needs to do to win the game against Auburn on August 31st. What a time to be alive. College football is getting kicked off. All right, Ducks fans, Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. This has been the weekly web foot review for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'll talk to you next week, football fans. Go Ducks! The weekly web foot